I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Shots, 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 shots for everybody. Oh, no, thanks. You can have mine. It's high noon for Friday, July 9th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Getter and Gab at I'm your moderator and the merch site is www.cancelcouture.com. Today is the 170th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate ventriloquist dummy fake proxy president Joe Biden, who was overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You decided that handing unchecked power to one side of the political equation would make all the problems stop. But you made that very wise decision while not knowing how any of the problems started. And here we are. You fully empowered the people who caused all the problems. And shocker, now they're causing more. So good job, commies. You were totally right. You were very smart and very informed and very moral. So you did that very smart moral thing you did and voted for a demented person who also happens to be one of the most corrupt people in our entire society. And then you became so confused that you figured it's probably just easier to quit that whole politics thing. So you went back to your normal life of sitting around watching Netflix while hiding from COVID. But if you're starting to realize that, the thing is, you are welcome at any time to just immigrate back to America. And with that, I want to extend a warm Friday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome to the show. I don't know how you got here. Maybe the algorithms are all just breaking down. And so you end up seeing stuff you didn't want to see and hearing things you didn't expect to hear. But now you're hearing my voice and you're thinking, wait, why is that guy telling me that I'm the problem? Well, here's the answer. Tommy, it's because you are the problem. No, that can't be it. He's being mean. 
Why is he generalizing about me and my beliefs? All I did was vote for Joe Biden, you know, to bring back a sense of normalcy to America, because that's what I care about. The feeling that everything is normal around me. And I can't feel that way when there's a very tan person tweeting things that upset me. And I understand commies. It's hard to go through life knowing that the person who's running your country is also someone that the media and your favorite celebrities don't like. And it makes you personally feel like insecure about your identity as an American around imaginary Frenchmen. I know how hard that is. Sometimes I try to imagine your pain and I just can't bring myself to that point because I know it must be so severe. So any sympathy that I could possibly have would just, it would not be enough to account for the pure horror that you lived in every day while, you know, posting pictures of your lattes online or filming yourself at the Museum of Ice Cream. I understand how difficult those years must have been for you. Just knowing that someone out there was fixing the country while, of course, making you feel embarrassed around imaginary Frenchmen. The horror. The horror. But... Here we are, Kami, and hopefully the child-sized Kami brain that would allow you to make such an absurd decision has grown slightly in the last eight months, maybe large enough to realize that almost everything you were told about the coronavirus by Anthony Fauci by Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, by the Democrat Communist Party at large, by the public health community, by the Chinese, and by the WHO, was completely and totally false. Maybe you've realized that. And then maybe you've had the thought after that where you realize that, well, that's kind of a really big thing to lie about. And if they would lie to me about something that they're saying is, killing hundreds of thousands of people well what won't they lie to me about and that's a great question to ask yourself because the answer is there's nothing there's nothing that they won't lie to you about and if you look back on everything they told you about the coronavirus with these 18 months of perspective and quote-unquote new information that only the no-no people would say last year. Maybe you've realized that the no-no words are usually the right words. And that's why all the people that you decided to give all your power away to don't want you to hear them. Isn't it strange that the people you will willingly and happily give all your power away to are the exact same ones who are deciding what to censor? Does that ever connect in the head? 
Commies. It's a real important connection to make, you know. If everything they were saying was right and true to the point where people could actually come to those conclusions on their own, why would they need to censor the other side? If something was really agreed upon as true, things that countered that obvious truth would just be seen as silly or unprovable. People could look at them, think about them, research them, and find that there's really nothing there, and then they'll probably just abandon the idea altogether, you know, as people do. But instead, all those ideas are censored. Why? Why would you censor lies? Can any of you answer that question, commies? The answer we get is that some things, some of the no-no words and some of the no-no phrases are so dangerous that they can create real violence in the real world. It's kind of an admission that they're not actually hurting anyone online, isn't it? Because it's just information. What are they hurting by discussing this information? Well, nothing. So they have to create a situation where there's real violence. And of course, there was one example of that that they continue to use on January 6th. Now, nothing they say about January 6th has turned out to be correct. And there's plenty of evidence that the event was staged, that the violence, I should say, was staged by government actors. And the stuff that happened that day is now being covered up by people in Congress and by the U.S. Capitol Police who are totally unaccountable except to Congress. And Congress, of course, is not going to come forward with any of that information. Not while it would compromise the people who made the decisions that day, like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. But it doesn't really matter what happened that day at this point to them. All that matters is whether or not they can use that day as an example of the danger we might be subjected to if people are allowed to use the no-no words and the no-no phrases and talk about the no-no subjects, like election fraud. Without the implications of real physical danger in the real world, then they just sound like censors, like book burners. We all know about those, don't we? Remember how we were all taught that the people doing that were the bad ones? And now we pretend that the people doing that are the good ones. So long as the books they're burning are not from authoritative sources. Right, commies? I mean, this is really what you're supporting and what you chose to support by, by voting for Joe Biden. That really is what you did. Let's not get it twisted. You supported a censorship regime. You supported a regime who censored critical health information during what we are told is a pandemic. 
Got it? You voted for that. You voted for that. What does that make you, commies? Now, I'm not trying to beat you up here, but I do want you to understand the impact of the decisions you make, the fact that there is actually a moral cost to that, that you will be paying back for the rest of your lives. And hopefully you will. Some people are going to try to pretend they don't actually have that debt to society that they didn't actually make a wrong decision, that there was some justification for their ignorance, for their support of a censorship regime. And it's not just Democrats, Republicans too. You voted for a censorship regime. You voted for the book burners. You voted for people who would lie about a pandemic. You voted for the people who want to go door to door to inject poor people with an experimental gene therapy. You voted for people who want to do that and will exploit any problem that arises out of it. What happens if there's a violent incident during those door-to-door adventures? What happens if somebody doesn't want that vaccine and the government tries to force it on them anyway and they react violently? What's going to happen then? We're going to be told that this is just another example of how misinformation, medical misinformation can lead to real world violence. And then you'll repeat the cycle of censorship over again. That's what you voted for. It is an amazing credit to the patience and the intelligence and the self-control and the morality of the MAGA side that we all see all of you doing this and we're still trying to handle it the right way through speech and assembly, and local action, and writing our lawmakers, and fundraising, and supporting candidates, and trying to get the laws changed to protect our basic liberties. Basic liberties are at stake because you commies voted for a censorship regime that lies about a pandemic and goes door to door to try to force an experimental gene therapy onto people who don't want it. You voted for a regime that has political prisoners in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day for doing nothing but attending a rally and walking into a building they were ushered into by law enforcement officials. That's what you support. You voted for a regime whose number one priority is to federalize elections so that there can be no more local accountability 
And so they can take away the right to vote from every American citizen. You'll still have the illusion. You'll just never have any result you actually vote for ever again. That's what they want. And that's what you voted for. You got to understand that, commies. And once you understand that, it's probably time to stop pretending you have a moral high ground in conversations with people who made the right choice, who actually thought about their choice, who actually took that choice seriously as you all ran around posting about how it's the most important election of all time, the most important decision the country could ever make, and none of you even bothered to consider whether or not you might be wrong about a bunch of subjects you don't know anything about. Isn't that incredible? But yeah, you're the smart ones. So let's see where the censorship regime is at today. This is Katie Hobbs, Secretary of State of Arizona, last night. Well, we could only hope, but right now it seems like they are just continuing to lead by conspiracy theory. Um, Those who know that this fraud is a farce aren't willing to speak up about it. And certainly no indication that the state's top law enforcement officer is going to act on our request uh, to investigate. And in fact, he didn't even need a request from my office. Um, he should have just acted on the reports alone. Um, every layperson can look at this and say this this really does look like an attempt to interfere and should be warrant further investigation. Unless the man who was on the show was lying, it happened. But do you oh, agree yeah. that as it stands right now, it is highly unlikely anyone will be held to account for strong arming state officials into putting out what they wanted, which was the fraud force? Well, to my knowledge, uh, there is an investigation right now on the the same tactics that were used in Georgia. Uh, And so hopefully now that we have this actual evidence that's come forth, uh, this will it will result in at least an investigation here that can lead to these folks being held accountable. Here's what you're up against. The GOP chair, Kelly Ward, put up her tweet. Uh, She was suggesting that election officials should go to jail because their pushback against the frauded. You know, you blocked access, you withheld or deleted information, said they did not possess the passwords to the computers. Did any of that happen? They're just making this stuff up. I mean, honestly, right now, anything you see coming out of these people's mouths, you can just assume they made it up to just continue to pile on because they're, that's their goal, is to is to continue to sow doubt, to undermine the integrity of our election, um, and it, they're just making it up. Secretary of State, thank you for making your case to the audience. Thank you for letting us know what's happening. Thank you. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, come on, that's not a Secretary of State. That's a 14-year-old girl on the JV volleyball team. Nope, that's a real secretary of state right there who is in favor of taking legal action against the state senators and the auditors in Arizona. And that 
same pattern is being repeated right now in Michigan. And you could hear that she mentioned she wants the same thing to happen in Georgia. She sent a letter to the Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich this week asking that an investigation be launched into the state senators and the auditors. She wants to use the state's Department of Justice and the federal Department of Justice to go after the political opponents who are finding massive, overwhelming evidence of election fraud that implicates Katie Hobbs in this massive crime. In that clip, you could hear her say that she doesn't think anything's going to actually happen. And of course it isn't. She knows that there was no crime committed by the Senate or by the auditors. And despite her protestations otherwise, she also knows that there's absolutely nothing wrong with the audit. They are checking to find all of the instances of fraud in Arizona. So what you're really hearing is the desperation of a person who was told, hey, Katie, if you commit all of these crimes, we're going to make you rich and famous and powerful. In fact, we're going to give you the governorship of Arizona if you commit these crimes. And Katie Hobbs, the communist that she is, convinces herself that the project of getting Donald Trump out of the White House is so important to the world that the crimes don't even feel like crimes. The crimes feel like justice. And that's the thing about ideology. You can rationalize almost any form of depraved morality because you think you're serving a higher cause. Katie Hobbs is clearly evil. Don't get me wrong. She committed crimes. She knows she committed crimes. She speaks out about the value of a fair vote, but she doesn't do anything to protect a fair vote. What she does is protect a system that is only in place to empower people like her. And the same thing is happening right now in Michigan with, shockingly, another George Soros Secretary of State and another Soros AG. That AG is Dana Nessel. And she's going after attorney Matthew DiPerno and others involved in trying to get to the bottom of election fraud in Michigan. She's treating them all as criminals, saying that they brought these cases to extract money from donors based on false premises. She's taking it as a given that it is indisputably true that the election was free and fair and without fraud, without error. So she's saying that DePerno's claims are false and baseless and that he raised money off of those false and baseless claims. And that's a crime. That's really what they're attempting. And of course, the goal is to shut down speech and to shut down any inquiry into the massive crime that pretty much everyone at this point knows was committed. But there's another goal, too, and that goal is maybe more interesting. I don't think anything's going to come from this legal stuff. 
They're going to try to slow down the process. They're going to try to make anyone who they can threaten enough step back and step aside and stop doing what they're doing and stop pushing forward for the truth. That's the initial goal. But they have a narrative goal that's kind of above that. And that narrative goal is to make people who watch CNN and watch Katie Hobbs on CNN or on MSNBC, they want those people to believe that people like Katie Hobbs are on offense. Not only did Katie Hobbs and the Democrat Communist Party and all of the Romneys on the board of supervisors in Arizona, not only did they not do anything wrong, but they're the victims. They're the victims of all these people who are just perpetuating the big lie and trying to sow doubt in the legitimacy of our democracy. That's the claim. They're the victims. The citizens are the victims, including all the citizens who actually want this to happen, which is over 50% now. And according to some polling, well over 50%. But they're just trying to protect us from all of these lies. And the way they're going to protect us is through political persecution. You know, like any open society does. But what about this? Let's go to The Federalist. This is by Margot Cleveland, today, July 9th. New evidence indicates enough illegal votes in Georgia to tip 2020 results. Well, that's shocking. In Georgia, there was both an audit and a statewide recount confirming Biden's victory. But ignored in the process was evidence that nearly 35,000 Georgians had potentially voted illegally. Well, also ignored is the evidence that half a million votes don't have any chain of custody. And they ignored some other things as well. But we're told that's not a problem. And we should just be quiet because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Sorry, guys. Yeah, some mistakes were made. And yeah, we gave the electors to the wrong person. But there's nothing we can do about it. So let's stop harming the faith in our democracy. What kind of coherent person would ever have those thoughts in order. New evidence indicates that more than 10,300 illegal votes were cast in Georgia in the November 2020 general election, a number that will continue to rise over the next several months, potentially exceeding the 12,670 votes that separated Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I'm actually kind of impressed that this is appearing in the Federalist because they have been pretty weak on election fraud. While this evidence does not change the fact that Joe Biden is our president, All Americans who genuinely care about free and fair elections and the disenfranchisement of voters should demand both transparency and solutions to prevent a repeat in future elections. This evidence also vindicates former President Trump and his legal team for the related public and private comments and legal arguments made in challenging the Georgia election results. It is amazing, honestly, and I'm not trying to come down on Margot Cleveland. I'm not familiar with much of her other work, but the idea that she can write that first sentence while this evidence does not change the fact that Joe Biden is our president and then write all the stuff after it is pretty astounding. Now, Ben Dominich is the editor of The Federalist. That's his publication, and he is married to Megan McCain. 
And Meghan McCain's dad, of course, is John McCain, who is one of the original Romneys. And you read sentences like that and understand what the editorial view from the Federalist is. It would be nice if this piece could just be written using only the truth. Under the cover of COVID-19, Georgia, like many other states, flooded residents with absentee ballot applications. Also, like sister states, Georgia ignored various legislative mandates designed to prevent fraud and to ensure the integrity of the vote. These facts, coupled with the closeness of the presidential contest in Georgia and other states, led to a flurry of accusations and litigation charging vote fraud, illegal voting, and violations of the Elector's Clause of the Constitution. Oh, well, all of that is right again. Still crazy that you said the sentence about how Joe Biden is still president no matter what, even despite these massive and obvious instances of election crime and fraud. It really is crazy. And, you know, she backs up the Trump claim. She says this evidence also vindicates former President Trump and his legal team for their public statements. It also vindicates every single Trump supporter who said, hey, look at that obvious and overwhelming evidence of election fraud. And remember, by the way, that that, what she just said, is part of the big lie that caused the very violent insurrection. And the very violent insurrection is still what's being used to call Trump supporters violent and stupid and liars and domestic terrorists. This is how the censorship regime is propped up. In Georgia, there was both an audit and a statewide recount confirming Biden's victory, but ignored in the process was evidence that nearly 35,000 Georgians had potentially voted illegally. And that was the subheadline and apparently also just a paragraph in this article. Hallelujah. Under Georgia law, residents must vote in the county in which they reside, unless they change their residence within 30 days of the election. As Jake Evans, a well-known Atlanta election lawyer, told me, outside of the 30-day grace period, if people vote in a county in which they no longer reside, their vote in that county would be illegal. Soon after the November general election, Mark Davis, the president of Data Productions Incorporated and an expert in voter data analytics and residency issues, obtained data from the National Change of Address database that identified Georgia residents who had confirmed moves with the U.S. Postal Service. After excluding moves with effective dates within 30 days of the general election and by using data available from the Georgia Secretary of State's office, Davis identified nearly 35,000 Georgia voters who indicated they had moved from one Georgia county to another, but then voted in the 2020 general election in the county from which they had moved. Some of these moves could have been temporary, involving students or members of the military, Davis stressed, adding that. Under Georgia law, temporary relocations do not alter citizens' residency status or render their votes illegal. But given the margin separating the two presidential candidates, approximately one-third of the votes at issue could have altered the outcome of the election. Yet the media, the courts, and the Secretary of State's office ignored or downplayed the issue. And, hey, Margot, so did the Federalist. And so does this article you just wrote. It was disconcerting to see the media and the courts largely ignore serious issues like these, especially since the data I was seeing showed very legitimate issues, Davis said. 
In fact, I heard members of the Secretary of State's team admit some of the votes were cast with residency issues, but then claimed there weren't enough of them to cast the outcome of the election in doubt, Davis added. That was not at all what I was seeing, and as far as I am aware, the Secretary of State's office has never put out an actual number on the ones they did see. While frustrated, Davis told me that he never stopped working on these issues. In May, I received an updated voter database from the Secretary of State's office, and I imported the data and compared voters' addresses to the NCOA information I processed in November. When Davis ran the data, he found that of the approximately 35,000 Georgians who indicated they had moved from one county to another county more than 30 days before the November general election, as of May, more than 10,300 had updated their voter registration information, providing the Secretary of State the exact address they had previously provided to the USPS. Those same 10,000 plus individuals also cast ballots in the county in which they had previously lived. That number continues to increase every day as more and more people update their registrations. I have little doubt that the total number will eventually meet and then exceed President Biden's margin of victory in Georgia. Davis, who has testified as an expert witness multiple times in disputed election cases, believes Trump might have won a challenge to the Georgia election results had a court actually heard his case. Under Georgia law, a judge can order a an election be redone if he or she sees there were enough illegal, irregular, or improperly rejected votes to cast the results of the election in doubt, or if they see evidence of systemic irregularities, Davis said. These issues were absolutely systemic, Davis stressed, noting that they occurred in every county in the state, in every state house, state senate, and in every congressional district in the state. Evans, who holds the distinction of being the only lawyer in Georgia history to successfully overturn two elections in the same race, concurred. Under Georgia law, Evans explained, an election should be overturned if either one, more votes than decided the election were illegal, wrongfully rejected, or irregular, or two, when there were systemic irregularities that cast doubt in the results of the election. Both of those conditions are met overwhelmingly all over the place, and this is true in every other state. And let me just say that this is like one of the things that makes this process so infuriating for people to watch and why they feel so powerless and why they feel like nothing can be done. All right. These are major errors. Yeah, fine. You can be one of the people that says, OK, well, there's thirty five thousand there. And like maybe the number was more than the difference between what we're told Biden got and what Trump got. But, you know, this is just like a minor error. Like people moved and they didn't update their stuff and they voted where they used to live. Okay. There's still real people who cast real votes, right? Well, the laws are written for a reason and the laws weren't followed at all. This is a minor, minor example of what actually happened in Georgia. These votes are illegal. Doesn't matter why they're illegal. They were cast outside of the provisions of law as set by the state legislature. And hundreds of thousands of Georgia votes were cast outside the provisions of law as set by the Georgia state legislature. Many of those were covered in Stacey Abrams consent decree with Brad Raffensperger but they still are not constitutionally legal votes. There's no question about that. And most of those are just simply 
not connected to any voter. How do we know that? Well, if they were, it wouldn't have been so hard to produce the chain of custody documentation for those votes. Instead, what we have are hundreds of thousands of votes who that were told were mail-in ballots dropped at drop boxes with no chain of custody whatsoever. There's no proof that anyone actually dropped those ballots in the drop boxes. And let's remember that I was one of the people talking about this before the election. It was clear to me and to any observer, anyone who even looked at this, that the drop boxes were there so that there would be no postmark on the ballot. Anyone could just bring these ballots in from the drop boxes whenever they want, which is why these states extended the period where they could count these ballots. And this is one of the advantages of them doing early voting and them accessing the tabulation machines and the results of those tabulation machines throughout the early voting period. They were constantly monitoring to figure out exactly what they would need so that they could make the process of cheating go as smoothly as possible. Trump's numbers were so much higher than they ever expected, which is why all the cheating happened in such spectacular ways and was so easy to witness for everyone who could simply and honestly tell you what they're seeing. Thousands of affidavits over the country. Peter Navarro did all of these sorts of breakdowns that this article is about, and he has this fraud reflected in multiple different ways. This is just one of the ways people who voted from the wrong county, thereby casting an illegal vote. That is a small factor of systemic fraud. In the case of the 2020 general election, Evans told me, Davis's analysis indicates both factors could have been in play. And both factors, just as a refresher, were that there would be more votes than the difference in the election, or that the irregular or fraudulent or wrongfully rejected illegal votes would be an indication of a systemic error, right? So there's more than the difference, and the problem votes are indicative of a systemic problem. Davis's data proves significant because critics of Trump's challenge to the certification of Georgia's election results framed the NCOA information as either unreliable or an insufficient magnitude to cast the outcome of the election in doubt. But by updating their voter registration information with the same address as contained in the NCOA database, the voters themselves have established the reliability of that information. Further, by updating their address for purposes of their voter registration, these same voters are confirming their move is not temporary. When a person updates their voter registration to a new address, they are informing the county board of elections and correspondingly the secretary of state that they regard the new address as their legal residence, Evans explained. Upon learning of this new development, the Georgia secretary of state's office quietly opened an investigation into potential, potentially illegal voting by residents who had moved between counties. Davis provided his data to the office in May with a detailed explanation of his analysis. 
During my interview last week with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, there was confusion over which of the many investigations opened by his office I had sought further information. And I'm pretty sure she's missing a preposition in there somewhere. Immediately following the interview, both his press secretary, Walter Jones, and his deputy secretary of state, a position that didn't exist until he decided to put Jordan Fuchs in that position. And that's who's being referred to here, of course, Jordan Fuchs, called me back to follow up on my questions on the status of that investigation. There is no need to have access to Social Security numbers or birth dates, Davis told me. Every voter has a unique eight-digit voter identification number. Davis explained that these voter identification numbers tie to the voters' names and addresses and to vote history data, which documents when and where their votes are cast and comes from the Secretary of State's own data. Davis provided access to that data following the execution of a nondisclosure agreement, and I confirmed Davis's representation. Davis also provided processing certification verifying receipt of the NCOA data. I provided this exact same information to Francis Watson, the chief investigator for the Secretary of State, Davis told me, sharing a copy of the email sent to Watson. When asked for the status of Watson's investigation and other details, while both were receptive to questions, neither Jones nor Fuchs could provide definitive answers. While on Friday, Fuchs promised to give Watson permission to speak with me, and while both the Deputy Secretary of State and the Press Secretary promised to arrange an interview with Watson and to track down answers to several questions, to date, no further information has been provided and no interview has been arranged, notwithstanding several follow-up communications. Hopefully that is because Watson is busy investigating the strong evidence of illegal voting and not because the Secretary of State's office is attempting to bury the story and the fact that Trump might have been right after all until Raffensperger fights off a primary challenge. It is amazing, isn't it, that a publication like The Federalist can print this article eight months later. And it is so self-conscious and self-aware in the writing that it explains, don't worry, there's nothing that's going to happen. The president can't be replaced. At least that's what we're told. And they also say, oh, yeah, well, you know, maybe Trump was right after all. Well, Trump being right after all is the most important piece of information in the world right now. And it eliminates the Democrats' entire argument for all of this. It is clear that Trump was right after all. It was also clear at the time that Trump was right because people were doing this work. And what would happen? The Secretary of State's office would issue a press release about how this has been debunked or they might just be confused. There are duplicates in the process. Well, you know what? They looked. There are no duplicates. So it turns out that the debunkings were just false and they were false at the time. And the secretary of state's office, of course, knew that same thing all over the country. But we're told this is a big lie. We're told that courts threw it out due to lack of evidence when that simply is not true. And we're told that going down this road is domestic terrorism. Good luck, commies. Stick with it. We'll see how that works. And I just have to say, I cannot wait to see what happens if the court handling Trump's case against big tech, these three lawsuits, one against Facebook, one against Google, one against Twitter. 
if they grant a preliminary injunction and allow Trump back on these platforms and restore everybody's deleted accounts, holy moly. Like if the big tech companies were forced to provide an uncensored platform that was not tailored by algorithms, forcing people to see certain things while barring them from seeing other things. If we had full open communication without censorship, most of this stuff would wrap itself up pretty quickly because even the people who are adamantly opposed to believing in election fraud could not withstand the flood of information that would be rushing directly at them as soon as we entered a new period of free communication. There is no way all of these people giving all of these arguments to communists and elitists out there, they would not last a day in an open environment without censorship and a free flow of information. The Lincoln Project would be absolutely destroyed. Steve Schmidt was out there today talking about how the January 6th very violent insurrection might end up costing more lives than 9-11. <laughs> that is unimaginable. Right now, one person was killed at that event. Other people died in the aftermath, but one person was killed, and that was Ashley Babbitt. And she was killed by a Capitol Police officer named Mike Byrd, who was still serving in his position, even though he left his service weapon unattended in a bathroom. But let's talk a little bit about these Trump election cases. So the cases are released now. I have the filings all up in the info stream from this morning. And, you know, if you have the time, read the cases. I know that if you're the sort of person who has never read a lawsuit, it seems like, oh, that's probably something that only lawyers understand. But it's really not like that, right? They will refer to laws and, you know, sections of legal code or constitution or whatever. And that stuff can kind of get a little strange to read. But the rest of it is pretty much just in plain English telling you what the argument is, what their facts are. And where they want this to go. And that stuff is really interesting. And it's really not that tedious to read. It's really interesting stuff. So if you have the time, just go download one of those filings and start reading through it. You'll have a lot of reference points to all this stuff, especially if you're a social media user. And so I was starting to go through the Facebook case first, and I'm only about a third of the way through it. So I can't comment on the whole thing. But. At the bottom of page 18, this is section 83 and 84 of the case. I wanted to share this with you because I think that this is really great. that They're bringing this up. So section 83 here, neither plaintiff nor putative class members were free to decline the speech restrictions imposed by Facebook in its TOS terms of service. If they wish to use the Facebook platform, use of its platform was expressly conditioned on agreeing to these restrictions or user access was denied. Right. So the point here is that you have to agree to Facebook's terms and rules or be barred from Facebook. 
Federal actors, this is 84, federal actors are also sharing the fruits of Facebook censorship of plaintiff and members of the class. These benefits include, without limitation, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the White House have used defendants, the defendants in this case are Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, to inexpensively and effectively promote their directives, messages, and policies concerning COVID-19 and suppress contradictory medical views and content. Suppression of information suggesting or showing flaws in CDC and or other federal government policy. Increasing the number of visitors to the CDC's website. Boosting the CDC's highly questionable reputation as reliable and authoritative in its factual and policy determinations. And that's a big one for me. Okay, right now, this is all in the context of showing how the Democrats and how political actors pressured and used Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg to put out their political message at the expense of the plaintiff's political message. And the plaintiff in this case, of course, is Donald Trump and the putative class members. Okay, that's all of us who were censored, right? They don't have a defined class yet, but they have a standard for what that class is. And so that's why they are referring to it as putative class members. That will be changing as the case progresses, as people join the class, right? I like how they talked about the CDC's highly questionable reputation and that they entered that in here as part of the case. Because unlike what we're told by the mainstream media, by the tech companies, and by the Democrat Communist Party, the CDC is not simply an authoritative source who's just right about stuff. And pretending they are is the problem. Again, that's a government organization. And if we can't, as citizens, challenge what the government's saying, then we have no First Amendment. That's why the First Amendment is there. And it's one thing to censor somebody like me, who's just doing my best to read all the data, to read as many relevant articles as I can, to ask questions of data people and scientists on Twitter, as I was doing last spring, and then for me to form my opinions and conclusions. But I'm not the only one being censored. They were censoring actual doctors. They're still censoring actual doctors. They're censoring the guy who created mRNA vaccines. They're censoring the guy who won a Nobel Peace Prize for creating ivermectin. They're censoring any talk about PCR tests from professionals in that space. They're making it so that the only view anyone can see is the government's view. That is state action against political speech. That's censorship. That's a violation of the First Amendment on the most basic possible level. They also added in creating a false impression of unequivocal support in the scientific community for the CDC and other governmental directives. That's what I just talked about. And suppression of opinions and information that might lead people to take actions contrary to the government's preferences. This is exactly the argument they need to be making. And as I read through the rest of this, I am really hopeful to see what I've talked about before, what we showed 
with that Judicial Watch FOIA, which is that people were specifically targeted by government organizations who would then direct the social media platforms to do the censorship for them. And Donald Trump in the afternoon yesterday published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, and I want to read that to you. Donald J. Trump, why I'm suing big tech. One of the gravest threats to our democracy today is a powerful group of big tech corporations that have teamed up with the government to censor the free speech of the American people. This is not only wrong, it is unconstitutional. To restore free speech for myself and for every American, I am suing big tech to stop it. Social media has become as central to free speech as town meeting halls, newspapers, and television networks were in prior generations. The Internet is the new public square. In recent years, however, big tech platforms have become increasingly brazen and shameless in censoring and discriminating against ideas, information, and people on social media, banning users, deplatforming organizations, and aggressively blocking the free flow of information on which our democracy depends. And he's exactly right there. What is a bigger threat to faith in our democracy? Auditing elections to make sure the outcome we were told is correct. Or the government working with the big tech companies to end the First Amendment. I would propose it's the second one. Also, it just is the second one. The first one enhances faith in our democracy. The second one makes a democracy impossible to have because if we do not have free speech, we cannot make informed decisions. And if they get their way about election policy, we can't even vote. So there is no more speech. Sure, we can say things to each other as our devices listen to us, but that's no problem. Back to Trump's op-ed. No longer are big tech giants simply removing specific threats of violence. They are manipulating and controlling the political debate itself. Consider content that was censored in the past year. Big tech companies banned users from their platforms for publishing evidence that showed the coronavirus emerged from a Chinese lab, which even the corporate media now admits may be true. In the middle of a pandemic, big tech censored physicians from discussing potential treatments such as hydroxychloroquine, which studies have now shown does work to relieve symptoms of COVID-19. In the weeks before a presidential election, the platforms banned the New York Post, America's oldest newspaper, for publishing a story critical of Joe Biden's family, a story the Biden campaign did not even dispute. And that's true. Perhaps most egregious, in the weeks after the election, big tech blocked the social media accounts of the sitting president. If they can do it to me, they can do it to you. And believe me, they are. Jennifer Horton, a Michigan school teacher, was banned from Facebook for sharing an article questioning whether mandatory masks for young children are healthy. Later, when her brother went missing, she was unable to use Facebook to get the word out. Colorado physician Kelly Victory was deplatformed by YouTube after she made a video for her church explaining how to hold services safely. Keon Michael of Florida and her husband, Bobby, lost their 21-year-old son in a fatal collision caused by a twice-deported illegal alien. Facebook censored them after they posted on border security and immigration enforcement. Disgusting. I said disgusting, not Trump. Although I bet Trump would say it too. Meanwhile, Chinese propagandists and the Iranian dictator spew threats and hateful lies on these platforms with impunity. 
This flagrant attack on free speech is doing terrible damage to our country. That is why in conjunction with the America First Policy Institute, I filed a class action lawsuit to force big tech to stop censoring the American people. The suits seek damages to deter such behavior in the future and injunctions restoring my accounts. Our lawsuits argue that big tech companies are being used to impose illegal and unconstitutional government censorship. In 1996, Congress sought to promote the growth of the Internet by extending liability protections to Internet platforms, recognizing that they were exactly that platforms, not publishers. Unlike publishers, companies such as Facebook and Twitter can't be held legally liable for the content posted to their sites. Without this immunity, social media companies could not exist. Democrats in Congress are exploiting this leverage to coerce platforms into censoring their political opponents. In recent years, we have all watched Congress haul big tech CEOs before their committees and demand that they censor false stories and disinformation. Labels determined by an army of partisan fact checkers loyal to the Democrat Party. As the cases of fellow plaintiffs, Miss Horton, Dr. Victory and the Michael family demonstrate in practice, this amounts to suppression of speech that those in power do not like. Further, big tech and government agencies are actively coordinating to remove content from the platforms, according to the guidance of agencies such as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Big tech and traditional media entities formed the Trusted News Initiative, which essentially takes instructions from the CDC about what information they need to, quote, combat. The tech companies are doing the government's bidding, colluding to censor unapproved ideas. This coercion and coordination is unconstitutional. The Supreme Court has held that Congress can't use private actors to achieve what the Constitution prohibits it from doing itself. I'm going to read that again because this is what I've been talking about consistently since that day we saw the FOIA from Judicial Watch. This is exactly what the government is doing when it contacts the big tech companies to censor speech that interferes with their political goals. The Supreme Court has held that Congress can't use private actors to achieve what the Constitution prohibits it from doing itself. And that is exactly what Congress is doing. That is exactly what the California Secretary of State and the other secretaries of state around the nation have done. In effect, big tech has been illegally deputized as the censorship arm of the U.S. government. Yes. This should alarm you no matter your political persuasion. It is unacceptable, unlawful, and un-American. Through these lawsuits, I intend to restore free speech for all Americans, Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. I will never stop fighting to defend the constitutional rights and sacred liberties of the American people. And if you don't love that, I don't know what's wrong with you. Now, the last thing before I go, Jack Maxey has delivered a copy of Hunter Biden's laptop to Chuck Grassley and the Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And here is the letter that he sent along with it. Dear Senator Grassley, please find enclosed a copy of Hunter's laptop on an external SanDisk drive. It is the same exact copy that I delivered to the Daily Mail on March 3rd and the Washington Post three weeks ago. It is also the same copy in possession of Miranda Devine at the New York Post. A copy was delivered to Swedish National TV in mid-January of this year. Daily Mail had it confirmed by the former head of the FBI Computer Forensics Lab. 
Sadly, out of a general sense that the government is not to be trusted, every other first tier media company in the United States has refused it. And it is only recently that the New York Post has been willing to break stories. All of them are afraid of their own government. Sir, this fear is across the board. I hear it from working men to billionaires, and it should terrify every decent American. I have given numerous interviews on the topic and stand by every word. I have confidential informants who would be willing to testify concerning many of the crimes, both here and in other geographies, including communist China. But like most of America, they, too, are terrified of poking the bear, i.e. the FBI, CIA, NSA, DOJ, and the various bad actors who, ena who have enabled these vast crimes and betrayal to the communist Chinese by Americans and other global corrupt actors. All these crimes have been, to date, committed without consequence. I am not afraid. I have faith in God and still hold out hope that men like you and others who take their oath seriously will intervene to save our constitutional republic. I'm a veteran and have already offered my life for these ideals and made an oath to protect the Constitution from enemies, both foreign and domestic. It still stands. The level of corruption and betrayal are almost unimaginable. I pray, sir, because I have profound respect for your character, that you will have the power and the courage to put this before the American people and hold the guilty responsible. Throughout this, because I have a daughter and a soul, I have tried diligently to protect the dozens of innocents who would be exposed if this was made live. It is my prayer that this will never have to be the case, and so long as I live and have a say, it never will. But this country is on the precipice, and righteous men owe it to the past and the future to avoid chaos if it can be helped. I hope I am not alone, but I still believe what the old people told me, and without hyperbole, I have pledged my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor to see that justice be done. I am available any time to brief you or your staff on the contents, and would happily go under oath to do it. Very respectfully, Jack Maxey. Now that is fantastic. Again, I've covered so many Hunter Biden laptop revelations, but there are so many that haven't even begun to come to light. Imagine once again that the censorship regime did not exist. Right now, we have that 20, 25, 30% of the country who are adamantly opposed to forensic audits, and they're still wearing masks. They're triple vaccinated, maybe even more. They just love vaccines. And somehow they actually believe that Joe Biden got 81 million votes. These are people who, by and large, do not know anything about Hunter Biden's laptop. Entirely because of the censorship regime. There have been more than enough stories. If people could freely share and discuss those stories, even this 20 to 25 to 30% of real commies out there, they would know that this is a problem, that this is an issue, that this is direct, irrefutable evidence of Joe Biden not only lying on the debate stage to the entire country about having no knowledge of his son's dealings, but of Joe Biden legitimately being the one who is directing and facilitating this fraud. Hunter Biden, Frank Biden, Jim Biden exist to exploit Joe Biden's political office for the profit of the family and then launder that money 
however they need to so that the big guy can get his chunk and that so nothing looks like a problem when it comes to Joe Biden being investigated. And of course, Joe Biden would never be investigated, right? We have entrenched power in the government right now that has protected Joe Biden for decades. And I'm talking about both sides of the aisle. Mitch McConnell has protected Joe Biden no less than Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have. And Barack Obama, for that matter. All of these people are in the same game. They protect one another. They just do enough to hide stuff, to give themselves some measure of plausible deniability, knowing that the media will take their explanation and disseminate it to the public and then never look at the issue again so that people have the ability to just say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, they answered that. Some commie gives you the explanation. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's a big deal. It sounds like maybe it's just blah, blah, blah. And then they move on for the rest of their life. They'll use those excuses over and over and over again. They'll take 10 varieties of the same excuse about the same person's actions and they'll believe it every single time because the media won't go after it. And if the media doesn't go after it, it's probably not true. There are real adults in the United States right now that think if something bad actually happened, the media would have covered it. That is so childish. I don't know how anyone gets through their day-to-day life with thoughts so childish and so ignorant. Anyway, I hope you all have a good weekend. Trump will be speaking at CPAC on Sunday at 4.35 Eastern, which will probably end up being about 5 o'clock Eastern because Trump pretty much never starts on time. Could be even later. I think the last CPAC speech he was like, an hour late to, I don't remember. I think it was something like that. But anyway, have a good weekend. I will be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up 
on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com where you can donate or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!